0: welcome to tea and tattle i'm your host miranda mills a freelance writer living in london and every week on the podcast i hold candid conversations with a range of inspiring women including best-selling authors cookbook writers artists and many more we chat about creativity, books, well-being, and everything in between, and my aim for these conversations is to inspire and uplift tea and tattle listeners. This week I'm joined by the cookbook writer Alexandra Dudley to chat about her passion for sustainable eating, hosting dinner parties, and fast, fresh, easy dishes. I love Alexandra's cookbook, Land and Sea which brings together a fantastic assortment of tasty recipes that are generally easy to prepare but still pack a wonderfully flavorful punch. Alexandra regularly contributes recipes to Town & Country magazine and she hosts supper clubs as well as workshops on how to host a dinner party, which sound like a lot of fun. In today's conversation, Alexandra tells me about how she started a business from her kitchen table, creating a healthy, on the go snack that ended up being stocked in supermarkets around the UK. After a few years, though, Alexandra realised that her real passion was for creating recipes, learning more about the provenance of her ingredients, and hosting dinner parties. This is a fun conversation for anyone who's interested in learning more about the food industry and the switch many individuals as well as restaurants and companies are making to eat more sustainably. Let's get started with the show. Hi Alexandra, thanks so much for being on Tea and Tattle today.
1: Hi, hi, thank you for having me, very exciting.
0: Well, I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm such a fan of your beautiful cookbook, Land and Sea, and I love your Instagram account and blog as well. So I've been really looking forward to our chat today. Thank you. That's really kind of you. Thank you. But to start us off, would you just tell me a bit about yourself and how your love for cooking first began? So... I think, I I mean, I get
1: asked this a lot, but I would say I probably knew from a really young age, which I think probably a lot of people in food and drink um, would say the same thing. I think it's something that often comes from when you're quite young. So I knew early on that I wanted to work in food. I used to have a little catering company and I sort of made and sold my cakes from the age of 11, which is fun. I also used to deep clean fridges, people's fridges for a fiver, which is quite funny. Oh, yeah. wow. You really were a really domestic goddess. It. Yeah, really funny. Um, and then I I started a snack company. I don't, I don't know if you knew that. So I used to run a snack company called Punch Foods, which is uh, a company I set up straight out of art school.
0: Oh, wow. No, I didn't know yeah. that. So that's that. actually what most, a lot of
1: people really know me for. Um, I, I get called Seed Girl quite a lot. So I had a snack, a range of snacks called Super Seeds. And I started it on my kitchen table, but the business grew quite rapidly and you know we sold in Whole Foods, Plant Organic, Ocado, exported Um, so that's really how I guess I made a name for myself originally on on the food scene but I so I did that straight out of art school and I did it for about three years which in the third year I got asked to write my cookbook and it was really it was really then that I knew that I wasn't really doing the right thing and it was really food And I think somewhere along the way I got lost into kind of the idea of selling stuff and selling stuff to supermarkets and I hate supermarkets so I didn't really know what I was doing um and then yeah I sort of focused it much more back down to the food and really what I love doing which is just cooking for people and sort of talking to people who work in food and
0: yeah so what first made you come up with that product
1: though Um, So I used to be on the go a lot. And um, I always was looking for a snack that was kind of good for me, but tasty. So and I used to snack on seeds a lot. And I just kind of saw this gap in the market. And that was that was sort of it really
0: just went from there and started making them. Well, that's really amazing. But so have you turned your attention away from that now? Much more. I, I don't miss it
1: at all there's like no element of it that I miss I mean it was a great learning curve and it's impressive you know it's a great thing to have done and you know I did I did did well from it but gosh I don't envy anybody in that industry I have to say I think it's it's very difficult and most things are difficult like what I'm doing now is very difficult as well but I think for me There was. I'm such a creative, you know. I'm still an artist, and I felt like I I just wasn't creative at all in it at all. You know, it was one thing, and that was it. And my job was to sell this one thing. Whereas I think with what I do today, it's so diverse anyway. I do so many different things, and within that, I can. There's so much more room for creativity and flexibility within it. And food is more like that anyway, because it's it's a lot more creative, I think. And do you still keep up with your art? Yes, I do. Yes, I still make art. I'm working on a few things at the moment. I sell it still quite quietly. I don't really advertise it so much, but I am actually working on a new um, project, which I probably will make the most of you know social media to try and like push it out there. And it's linked to food as well. So it sort of makes sense.
0: Yeah, well I think that's so interesting that you have such an artistic background and then you went the really sort of entrepreneurial route kind of by Mm. accident almost. And that must have been such a you know change really from what you were used to. But now you're coming back into finding a more creative way to work, which is really interesting. Yeah, and it's
1: full circle as well. It's almost full circle if you think in, in many ways, it's like, you know, because I, I also at one point wanted to act. And now, you know, what I really want to do is spend my life um, speaking to people who work in food and art, really. So it sort of makes Sort of makes sense. It's like food, art, all kind of linked in together.
0: Yeah, well, I know you've started doing like some videos or something where you you speak yeah, to people in yeah. food, right?
1: Very early days. Yeah, very early days. I've only released one, um but I should have. I, I mean, it's just been such a busy year. But hopefully, in January, there'll be lots more exciting things to come. <laughs> That's the plan.
0: Well, that sounds really wonderful. But so I'm curious about how your love for food really developed. I mean, I read that your mum is Dutch. Yeah, my mum is Dutch and my dad is half German. So I've ha- I had quite
1: a kind of European upbringing in terms of the way that I ate. Um, my mum was also brought up in West Africa as well in Nigeria. So the food that we ate was a really eclectic mix of flavours, I guess, and cuisines, um, which I think, I think probably just stemmed a curiosity to kind of try more because I was aware
0: that there were so many amazing things already out there. Do you prefer cooking to baking or vice versa or both? I think
1: it's funny. I think there's a lot more, you can be more creative with cooking, like on a whim, on the go. You know, you can kind of like have a look at what's in your fridge and go, oh, you know, I'm going to make a tomato basil soup, but I don't need basil, but I have some tarragon. So, you know, I'm going to do like a tomato tarragon soup. And then you'll kind of discover that tomato and tarragon is a really nice combination then you might do a tomato tarragon salsa or you know make a tarragon pesto and do roasted tomatoes and the flavors you just go further and further and it's it's much easier to just sort of off the cuff create things baking there's a lot more science to it but that said I think I'm often quite creative creative with baking as well and when it goes well it's so rewarding because baking is challenging so when you do when you bake something and it's good I mean that that kind of like five-minute arrogance, like, oh, yeah, I'm so cool. I'm so great. I did this. That's that's quite satisfying, um, I would say. <laughs> so I like both. I have yeah. to say I like both.
0: Well, I like both too. I mean, I think you're right. You can just be a bit more fearless I find with cooking you know you can just tweak things a lot more as you go and stuff but you're right there's a very satisfying feeling that comes over you when a cake just turns out perfectly I think you're entitled to be a little smug when that happens definitely definitely (laughs) you're allowed to be smug. So tell me about your cookbook Land and Sea how did that really come about?
1: Well I was asked to write a cookbook and I think I think no one in their right mind would say no to writing a cookbook, really. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a really lovely process. And, I mean, essentially, people always ask what your kind of u- u- unique selling point is. You know, what is it? What's, what's it about? People always say, what's it about? What's your book about? I'm like, well, you know, I think most cookbooks are really just an extension of people's personalities. So this is really just an extension of mine. I think if, if there was, it's sort of kind of niche element it would just be that focus on sustainability which i know is such a big buzzword now but i'm talking about it on a really basic level which is the book is not vegetarian even though i i pretty much eat a a almost completely vegetarian diet but if anything it kind of celebrates not throwing things away you know kind of using your carrot tops and using your beetroot stems and cooking the broccoli stalk and you know making the most of herb stems and or or just very small things that you can do at home to sort of avoid food yeah well
0: I know that you I know you really believe in sort of cooking once and feeding yourself twice you make a lot of leftovers or meals you can have leftovers from right yeah I love leftovers I feel like I cook for leftovers sometimes. Oh, me too. I think I think I think leftovers are amazing. <laughs> I'm actually having leftovers tonight, so yeah, <laughs> I'm all about the leftovers. Um, but so, is that something that has always really mattered to you? Then eating in a sustainable way? No, I mean, I, th- I don't really think I even thought about it until
1: I remember actually working in restaurants and being sort of shocked about how much got thrown away, mainly from a, God, this is such a waste point of view. You know, I even remember walking past coffee shops and they'd like throw out all their pastries when I, because I'd kind of come home sort of late at night and after my shift at the restaurant and I'd see sort of like Starbucks. I specifically remember a Starbucks was just not very good coffee or probably pastries, but they had, there was this like box of croissant and, and gingerbread men. And I was like, you can't throw that away. So I just picked up this box of like, gingerbread men and croissant and just brought it home and then ate little well, far too many gingerbread men and croissant. But you know, I remember being quite, yeah, just sort of upset and miffed by the fact that this stuff was being thrown away. And then I think as I became older, and I, I cared a lot more about the provenance of my food, which often has a lot to do with the people I think you make it, I just think that you know, I'm really fascinated by people who who work in in the industry and, you know, people who make cheese or make wine or have fish or like, and I think because of that, I was drawn so much towards kind of organic farming, or, I guess, a little bit more kind of seasonal, sustainable ways of farming. And then it, it, you know, it just sort of trickles down, it just sort of trickles through you. And I just, I just can't, I can't bear food waste. I just think it's, It's such a it's such a terrible thing, you know, without even thinking about the people out over in Africa who have no food, which obviously we think about. I just also think about the kind of people have put effort into growing this stuff and and, and everything, the kind of life that the food has had before it arrives with you, Um, which, again, is is often why I care a lot about the provenance. So I care a lot about the kind of journey that my ingredients have taken before I'm sort of taking them on their next journey, I guess.
0: Yes, I mean I too really love like the stories behind where your food comes Mm -hmm. from. You know, whether that's a story about a farmer or cheesemaker or winemaker, as you say, I think that you can just feel so much more connected then to the food that you're eating and that can be, you know, a wonderful part of the experience. Um and I I do think there's so much room, as you say, to really improve upon this, not just with the individual person, but also restaurants, big corporations that you say, like Starbucks, I mean, that's really shocking. But do you know the restaurant Spring in London? Yes, I love Spring. Well, you mean their scratch menu? Yes, like I I just found out about that. And I thought it was such an amazing idea that they have this special set Mm -hmm. menu that I think they only offer for like an... Hour yeah, in the evening, isn't it? Yeah, it's so good because it's called the scratch menu because they just use up mm. leftovers. I mean, I thought of you yeah, straight no, away. It's really, uh, super, yeah, it's brilliant. I know, and I think that's just such a great innovative way of serving food that they're doing that you know using up leftovers but making them into this amazing yeah. meal that people can have at a very sort of reasonable yeah. fee would you like to see more of that kind of happening I
1: think do you know I would have to say I think we are seeing more of it happening I can't remember what restaurant I was looking at the other day where it was something to do with some sort of leftover breadcrumbs or like yesterday's bread and butter pudding um or you know yesterday's kind of croissant pudding or something something mm-hmm. and it was it was pretty it was quite a mainstream restaurant i was quite impressed with it but there's another restaurant called native which has basically a kind of zero rate waste policy and they are i mean by so many people's standards they would be considered zero waste as they are but they are so humble and have have such kind of de- a deep rooted kind of like ethics that they want Mm. to be completely zero waste and they really I mean they use everything they use kind of every crumb and every herb and everything gets turned into something else or it gets pickled or you know that really they throw nothing away um and they they have a real focus on kind of foraged foods as well which is quite Mm. fun um and there there was even Gail's Bakery did a special loaf that was made from kind of yesterday's loaves that was then turned into another loaf. And I think you I think I think we are seeing it more. I think restaurants are thinking about it more there. The pressure's on really. I mean, if you're doing anything in any industry these days, fashion food, try and think what else there is. I'm not fashion food, what else is there? Um, but you know, there there is that kind of corporate responsibility, I would say, to, you know, you can't bring something else out now that isn't in kind of recyclable plastic, for example. You know, because
0: people are going to criticize you instantly. Um, yeah, no, that's so true. I think it's great that there is more developing awareness around these issues. Do you like foraging? I mean, I know you're a fellow Londoner, and I'm always kind of curious about this. Like, is it possible to forage in London?
1: It is possible to forage in London, I would say don't go too low, try and keep it to like above waist height, just because you know, there are a lot of dogs and cats and foxes and other things in london probably humans as well that pee on on the stuff so um and i would say you know places like kind of like walthamstow it's a bit further up or even like Hampstead heath you know you can find some great things you can find great blackberries you really have to i mean i would say you would go further afield i rarely go foraging in london i have to say um i probably don't forage enough i'd really like to know how to forage mushrooms um, I think that would be a cool one to know. Uh, I'm just too, I I'm just too scared I've heard such horror stories about people. Yeah, you, know? you don't want to poison
0: yourself <laughs> or you I,
1: others. I, I, I know I would, I'd probably pick up the like, most poisonous mushroom and
0: you know, feed it to everyone. It would be awful. <laughs> I know. I'm definitely scared of mushrooms too, but it would be really great to like, know which ones are safe. But so what was the experience like in writing your first cookbook? Did you have a favorite part of that whole process?
1: Uh, It was quite a rushed process for me I was still running my business so I was sort of writing it in the evenings and the one regret I have is I didn't really get to it sounds really risky me saying this but I didn't get to test any recipes I didn't really get to create anything for the book so there was there was kind of like a number of reasons there was a bit of time pressure on it so I really it's really a book just made of recipes that I already made which is it's great but Obviously, I have that thing where I'm like, God, I wish I could have put this in my book because, you know, now I do this and I do that. And I mean, hopefully I'll do another book so it can all go in there. Um, obviously, all the recipes were tested sort of as we were shooting them. That's when, because, you know, if you cook, you kind of cook by eye. So I don't know if it's two or three tablespoons of olive oil. So that kind of thing is actually, that's probably the most stressful part kind of having, because you really have mm. to be specific. You can't just kind of go rogue with it. And so we did that during the shooting, taking the photos. And actually, it's probably the the shooting is probably the most fun part, I would say. Although I love the writing as well. I, I love writing. So writing is also fun. I really enjoyed writing the introductions for the chapters and stuff. It's like an ode to ingredients.
0: Yeah, well, I really enjoyed reading them. You know, I loved what you had to say about food and also your sort of relationship to food and the story behind a lot of the dishes. Yeah. Do you have some favourite food writers?
1: Oh, I definitely do, yeah. Um, I love Nigel Slater a lot. Um, Mm. Gosh, I sort of want to be him, but, you know, I think we all do. (laughs) He's just got such a way with words and he just, there's such a simplicity with his food, but a kind of, quite a he's really worldly Nigel Slater he has a real love for kind of Japanese food and stuff and it kind of shows in his cooking there's such respect for the ingredients um I love Diana Henry as well uh mainly just because she's fabulous and she does a lot of tests you know she really tests those recipes to make sure they're brilliant same goes for Sabrina Gayor. So she does, you know, Persiana was her first book, which is just fantastic. And then she has, Yeah. the next one was Sirocco, or Sirocco is how she says it, I think. And then Feasts, which is just also fantastic and fun. Uh, I haven't got Feasts yet. So feasts is great as well. Um, really fun. And I, I'm a big fan of kind of hosting dinner parties and throwing dinner parties. And in fact, I do these workshops on kind of how to host a dinner party. And I always bring out my Sabrina Gayor, my um uh what's it called diane henry and then also the river cafe books because i think they've got some really good classics in there which again don't use millions of ingredients and i think that's it's a good thing for a busy you know busy busy cook busy busy mum busy whatever you know it's sometimes simple simple but good and packed for the flavor i think is good
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're so right. We all have really busy lives. And it's great when you don't have an ingredients list that sort of takes up a whole enormous page. And I love that so many of your recipes pack a lot of flavor, but with, you know, pretty minimal ingredients. I mean, one of my favorite things to make from your book, actually, is some of your salad recipes. Yeah, really yeah yeah like I love your grapefruit and carrot salad and you've got all these great little sort of five minute salads and I think they're just so nice because they're a lot less boring than just you know basic salad but they don't take long to put together
1: yeah I mean I think that's that was that's it is important with cooking and actually a lot of I think because my so my family especially my dad has always loved to entertain and I have always been the kind of resident cook and it's, it's not uncommon for me to get to my... So my dad sort of spends most of his time in Norfolk and then a bit of time in Peru um, at the moment. But it's really not uncommon for me to arrive there on a Friday night and him to sort of announce that we've got, you know, 16 people coming for supper. So I'm often kind of faced with that challenge of, OK, well, I've got to cook something exciting for 16 people. And because I was brought up in a house where we always had lots of different plates on the table. It's not really my style. I love it, but it's not really my style just to do one dish. I I will normally do a few things, even if I do a risotto, which is, you know, kind of one Mm. pot thing. I'll do a risotto, but then maybe I'll do like a charred broccoli with like a salsa verde or something else. And again, it sounds impressive, but it's so simple to do stuff like that. And it's so quick. So food that kind of is quite rough and ready and, and, fast and fresh I would say a bit of alliteration there
0: (laughs) well that sounds like just the kind of way I like to eat so yeah it's definitely a reason why I do really like your cookbook but it sounds like you come from a family of real travelers I know you yourself love to travel too um does that influence the kind of food you like to make as well
1: yeah definitely I think my yeah most my my biggest influence is from actually going out to restaurants Mm. and also traveling I just went uh I came back from Istanbul and I have this created this menu just hypothetically in my head that I am dying to sort of spend a weekend sort of practicing and feeding people and seeing how it goes because the food in Turkey is so much more I think than what we think of here you know it's so much more than kind of kebabs and whatever else, you know, shish kebab or like mm. wraps. I mean, it's just, there are some fantastic flavors and really exciting ways of using ingredients. Um, so I'm desperate to sort of dive into that and use a bit of that.
0: That that sounds really wonderful but I mean I love the sound of your dinner parties sort of workshops and as we are sort of going into the midst of party season now I was wondering if you could share a few tips for some easy crowd-pleasing dishes that would be perfect for a winter supper party.
1: Well I would say as I mean today actually this morning I was giving my friend advice on how to make a risotto and she's she's aiming to cook risotto for 12 people and I said you oh, will well. need, two, That's a lot yeah, of need two pans for that two very large frying pans so I guess my first advice would be probably don't cook risotto if you want to be part of the party yeah. <laughs> if you're standing up I love cooking risotto and actually I do it quite a lot but you need to you need to be aware that you're going to be standing up and I would say kind of sweat your onions first uh, so it's all kind of prepped. Mm. but yeah my my biggest advice is try and do things that you can semi-prep ahead of time so uh mm. and and cold room temperature or cold food it's you know I know it's winter but if you've got an element of something that's warm so kind of a perfect thing is like a kind of shove it in the oven I always say like you want to shove it in the oven and then you want a kind of quick fresh like five minute thing so maybe you've got a kind of chickeny dish that's like with onions and lots of like lovely vegetables or spices and you've got it all prepped and it's marinated you, 20 minutes till you're going to sit down and you just bung it in the oven, and then you've got kind of like maybe a wintry slaw, you know, something with kind of carrots and red cabbage and pecans, or something, you know, kind of like nice and nutty and indulgent. And you've made the dressing, you've put the like grated carrots and the cabbage in, you've put the pecans in, it's just sitting in a bowl. And five minutes before you're going to sit down, you just toss it. You're not spending hours in the kitchen, I think try and create things that you can prep prep ahead I always say prep everything ahead. chop your herbs before like zest your lemon before crush your garlic mm. makes your make your dressings do it all before and then try and think about things that you can just shove you know just shove them in the oven um yeah
0: oh well that's such great advice yeah I think the idea of really prepping everything ahead like that is such a good idea because then you can just actually enjoy your own party too, yeah, exactly. you're not just stressed out yeah. <laughs> beforehand, like running two hours behind or something. So, yeah, that sounds like really brilliant advice. But at the end of my interviews, Alexandra, I always ask my guest to share a cultural recommendation so it could be a podcast a magazine a, a book an exhibition whatever but I'd really love to hear about something that you've been enjoying lately
1: oh gosh gosh there's so many um podcast I really like the Violet Sessions podcast which is Claire Patat's oh, yeah. um podcast who runs the Violet Bakery which is a fantastic bakery in East London um, that just does the most amazing halva, tahini halva brownies, and cinnamon rolls. She also actually made the royal wedding cake, so I, I think that that sort of put her and the uh, for um, Harry and Meghan. So she made their cake.
0: That sort of really, important. yeah, I know. I love yeah. Violet as well. Uh, I've been going there for years, and I was so excited when she did that royal wedding cake, and it just sounded amazing. Yeah. So, her podcast, I
1: really like. Um, I love the Violet set, and it's a great podcast. Oh, yeah, and it's very inspiring. They are they so they speak to kind of women basically doing cool things, of which there are many women doing cool things. So, I think it's a great one to listen to as a woman. Um, and then, I don't know, I mean, can I say a restaurant, or is that not allowed? Yeah, I know. I'd love to hear that too. Um, I really like Scully at the moment, which is um, Ramiel Scully, who was he worked for Ottolenghi, and it's his first uh, restaurant. It's in London, sort of near Piccadilly, and it's oh, it's just fantastic. It's a real mishmash of flavours. I guess it's what real fusion is. You know, you've got you'll have sort of a bergamot labneh with a sort of miso aubergine, and then kind of a corn tortilla thing I mean there's you know you've got like kind of Jap- Japan in there and like Lebanon or the Middle Eastern food and then you've also got Mexico and it's just really fantastic really well
0: thought out exciting food oh that sounds wonderful and my gym is actually near Piccadilly so it's good to know restaurant recommendation yeah, although that could yeah, also yeah. be dangerous <laughs> really good definitely go definitely go fantastic well and what's next for you Uh, do you have any events or projects coming up that you're able to share at the moment
1: um yeah I always have my um supper clubs sort of rolling and my sort of how to host a dinner party workshops um and I often do sort of other fun things I'm probably gonna put on a supper club for street smart which is a charity that helps kind of the homeless in winter um but yeah, there's always events on my website, and then yeah, hopefully, I need to just get a bit more YouTubey, and um, that will be happening. And then I'm I'm launching my podcast, my own podcast, which is about dinner parties in January. So that is something that's coming, which is hopefully quite exciting. Hopefully, you like people like dinner parties. It's a, a bit of a running theme for me. You may have guessed. <laughs>
0: oh that sounds amazing i can't wait for that i love dinner parties too so i'll be sure to be listening in but if people would like to keep up with your news where's best to find you online
1: So, I mean, my Instagram, I always announce stuff on Instagram. I think it's, I mean, it's so easy, isn't it, to get information out. Um, That's just my name, Alexandra Dudley. Otherwise, my website, um, I send, my website, everything is on there, but I send out a monthly newsletter, which you can subscribe to very easily on um, alexandradudley.com. And it just comes out once a month. It normally has kind of a couple of recipes or any kind of recipes I've done that month. And I always put what's in season that month and then any events that are coming up.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, I'll be sure to put links to those things in the show notes for this episode. But thank you so much, Alexandra. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. That's it for this episode of Tea and Tattle. Thank you so much again to Alexandra for her lovely interview. Remember to check the show notes for all the relevant links, which you can find at tntattlepodcast.com forward slash home forward slash 98. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you shared it with a friend who you think would like it too. You can also leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and if you'd like to receive a handwritten thank you card from me then simply email me a copy of your review along with your mailing address and I'll pop a card in the post. You can email me at tntattlepodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at both Miranda's notebook and Miranda's bookcase. Thanks so much for listening. This is the final Tea and Tattle episode of the season, although I shall be publishing a special Tea and Tattle Christmas episode on Christmas Eve, so be sure to tune in again then. Also, do let me know if you're joining in with reading the Winter Choice for Tea and Tattle Book Club, which is The Nine Tailors by Dorothy L. Sayers. It's a brilliant book to read over the holidays, and I'm looking forward to rereading it again myself. A fresh season of tea and tattle podcast will be starting later in the new year. But until then, keep well, have a joyful Christmas and stay in touch.